Welcome to another edition of Art Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. I'll be joined by my co-host today, Aaron. We're doing an interview with Matina Agio, the Inheritance Muse from Athens, Greece. This is a fascinating discussion. Definitely want to stick around. There's a short 30-second sponsor message, and then we'll get right to our interview. So don't go anywhere. Welcome to another edition of Art Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and I'm here with my co-host, Aaron. How you doing, Aaron? I'm fabulous. How are you? I'm good. You're fabulous. That's a new, that's a new response. What, <laughs> what's going on that, that helps you to feel fabulous? Um, I just feel a, 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 an inner sense of uh, well-being. Oh, that's today. nice. Yeah. That's good. And in, in a, in a good feeling towards the world. Oh, well, that's really nice. Yes. I would feel I would feel better if I wasn't getting so many spam phone calls. <laughs> well, I decided to bless to bless them too. I keep getting a call from someone named Scam Likely. I don't, I don't know why they keep calling me. <laughs> I know them too. <laughs> so. I bless them too. And they uh, said I'm glad they have a job. Oh, well, I don't know about that. Uh, so to all of our <laughs> listeners out there, thank you again for supporting this podcast. Thank you for sending me nice messages. And thank you for wanting to be on the show. We've been interviewing creative people. And today we've got somebody really interesting on the show. Uh, this is a, a, a really different type of, of creative idea that I really like. And we should have her on the line. Her name is Martina Agio, and she's in Athens, Greece. Are you with us, Martina? Yes. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon. Hey. Yeah. Hi. So it's 2.12 p.m. here. What time is it there in Athens, Greece? It's uh, midnight, actually. I'm enjoying the uh, light evening breeze. Oh, you're a night owl like we are. Oh, wonderful. We get all yeah. our best We get all our best ideas at midnight. Me I at- agree with you. I agree with you. I'm the same. Me at four in the morning. So I, I understand <laughs> you're... Um, and for anybody who's listening, Martina M A. I wrote this down really fast. And I misspelled it. M A. Aaron. What? <laughs> Martina. I'm gonna. I'm going to add it to the description section of our podcast and my website. I was just gonna say that for anybody who's listening and they want to log on right now while they're listening, they can go to Martina's website, which is the Inheritance Muse, and that's MartinaAgio.com. So uh, that's pretty right. straight. Yeah, pretty straightforward. You want to spell? Mm, no, it's okay. So. We spelled before, remember that turned into kind of a circus? You were going A like Apple, B like Bob, and all that stuff. It got silly. Yeah. Okay, so, so we're not doing circuses that. Circuses are good. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> this is not a circus. So, so Matina, I want to ask you, before we talk about the obvious work that you're doing based on studying your website, in your early years, were you a creative type person in the arts at all? Um, I was always a, a creative person. Um, since I was young, I followed in my mother's footsteps, who was uh, an artist and a collector. Um, mm. She studied in she studied fine arts in Lausanne, and I think I took after her, uh, following that creative streak in the family. But I was very much drawn to interior design and the designing of heritage homes. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So that's. Um, 
mainly my interest, but all sorts of designs, I suppose, lifestyle, fashion. It was all interesting to me. Well, my, my, my reason for asking is because I've been in the art industry for many years, and I noticed years ago that um, Americans, compared to Europeans, people from your part of the world, uh, Americans are very in many ways, naive about the entire world of art and culture and all that. Uh, when I, when I, there's a, there was a situation where, um, and you're, you're the inheritance muse, so you might find this interesting. We, uh, many years ago, I was uh, selling Salvador Dali hand-signed works, and I was selling Picasso and Chagall, Miro, Warhol, these types of artists. And we had a, a contact come in from a young Italian who had inherited a, uh, a Rembrandt and, um, and it was an unusual piece of art. I remember talking to him through a translator and I said to him, because I wanted to be the one that discovered this piece of art, brought it to the owner and had us sell it. And I said to him, uh, you're going to make millions off this piece of art. And he said, what are you talking about? And you know, the translator said, what do you mean? And I said, because we're going to help you sell it. And he said, oh no, we're not trying to sell it. We're trying to authenticate it, establish its value and then insure it. And and then hold on to it. And I said, and I thought to myself, this is a 19 year old man in the United States, they would sell it in a heartbeat. And I asked, why, why are you not interested in selling this? And the 19 year old responded, my father, his father, and his father would all turn over in their graves. If I sold this, I can't sell it. And so it was really, it was really interesting to me that he understood the value of that art long-term and that it's an asset that you can use as leverage where Americans tend to get a piece of art like that. They inherit it. They immediately sell it, you know? Well, that's a very interesting story, Dan, uh, mainly because I work with uh, the theme of inheritance and inheriting art collections. Um, I would say that um, th this is a generalization in the sense that, um, I've met Americans who wanted to hold on to their, you know, things that have been handed down in their families. But as a generalization, it's an interesting comparison. It's, it's, really, it's really interesting to be able to hold on to something. The question always is, why are you holding on to it? And obviously, this young gentleman knew why he was holding on to it, because the whole idea is to have a relationship with one's art and to know the, the raison d'être of the art mm -hmm. and the reason why it's in your life. If one is to sell, then they, they, they should sell. You know, it's, it's, it always depends on the circumstance. Right, right. Uh, can I ask you um, if you could just sort of take us through the journey of how you got started with what you're doing? What was the original? inspiration and then how you uh, how you work with people today uh, could you give us a little uh, sort of um, synopsis of that yes with pleasure well um, I am a Greek Canadian uh, actually um, I was born in Athens and at a very early age around three years old uh, we had to suddenly leave Greece due to a dictatorship and I was um, I was uh, brought to Canada and uh, that's where I grew up and I grew up in a home that had a lot of heritage and uh, stood very firmly in their traditions, but they weren't a traditional. My parents were not traditional, but they really loved tradition. And this aspect of heritage was very, um, it, it impressed me greatly, the way that they um, held on to these traditions, uh, but also knew the heart of them. So they just didn't do things. They, they, do, they did things from a certain approach, 
there was a certain philosophy in our family. My father was an avid Stoic and my mother was very well educated. So she could appreciate very much these traditions and folklore and all of that. So yeah. all of this was quite impressive on me. And I always found myself to be a different person uh, when I was in the family and, you know, another one when I was at school. And this conflict between my heritage and the environment always kept me on my toes. So mm -hmm. as I grew up, I found, I understood that by tapping into my heritage, I found strength in that. Mm -hmm. And I went on to create um, and go and study and so on. But in the back of my mind was always, um, you know, you know, my own culture, my, you know, Hellenic culture. And mm -hmm. this has been with me all along. But it wasn't until um, when my parents died and um, I had to uh, take on that inheritance that I also realized exactly how valuable um, the, you know, what, what value was actually given to me through my family life, through my family's philosophy, through what I learned from my parents. This all came, let's say, into a, it came into the spotlight mm -hmm. and I had had to manage because I had to manage our, our family's historic home. I had to manage um, the things, the collections, which, you know, dated back 2000 BC. Wow. Um, you know, there were a lot of things in that collection that I had to deal with. It took me over two years just to sort that out. But it wasn't just that. It was also going through the family history um, and realizing that, you know, none of us just come out of nowhere. And that this, um, you know, this wealth that we are given, which I call intangible wealth was so meaningful and powerful to me and through that experience I changed my life and uh, eventually I, I came to create the inheritance muse and the whole idea is that I help other other people understand the wealth of their inheritance what was given to them and help them um, create wealth with it Mm. How wonderful it is that you learned this from doing this, having done this yourself. You learned to you you learned to keep this sacred for others as well. Yes. Well, you know what? When you are when we, when we think about inheritance, we're always thinking about tangible things, asset, yeah. property, art, and so on. Um, for me. Um, the intangible part of our inheritance is very important. Right. So that is also why sometimes heirlooms are so important because it's not always the object. It's yeah. the memory behind it. It's the story behind it. That is the empowering a element in that relationship. Well, uh, on that note, I wanted to ask you, um, because Aaron, my co-host here, her dad was a working actor in Hollywood. He passed away in 1989. And he left her, you know, hundreds of rare on on the set movie, uh, in, you know, uh, one of my still images, black and white, really nice, clean images from uh, Toshiro Mifuni and uh, uh, what's the director's Tutsura name? Nakadai. And yeah, so they were the Kurosawa they were movies. Kurosawa films. They were rare, a uh, collection of rare photographs that had enough value to where a museum wanted us to donate them to them. And then she also inherited uh, all kinds of rare vintage World War II memorabilia posters. She had samurai swords from the battlefield in World War II from her dad. She also had, um, uh, we had 
uh, a plaque uh, that was presented to Montgomery Cliff by the Academy. It was signed by all the members of the uh, Film Academy. We had all of these mm -hmm. things, you know, movie memorabilia pieces from films and all this kind of thing. And so my question is, she was uh, sentimentally or emotionally attached to these items because of her, her father. And <clears throat> my view was, you, are you just going to hang on to this stuff forever? Shouldn't we just get rid of it and just sell all of it? And we sold quite a bit of it. So I, I, my question to you is, do you run into conflicts between family members or maybe a husband and wife or, or sibling, whatever it is, when it comes to how you handle all of these inherited items? Well, um, you know, I see uh, selling off something is actually a transfer of custodianship. Uh, I think that uh, things have their own, uh, let's say, destiny. Hmm. And sometimes they're destined to change hands or move into other places than our own homes. Right. So um, I would say I would say that it's very important to establish the why, why we want to keep on to something or yeah. why we want to let it go. Because with the end, the why doesn't, it's not a simple answer because, uh, for example, in my work, when I when I work with uh, clients, uh, we go through uh, the method, the inheritance muse method, where our why is defined as the beginning, hmm. uh, because it's a three-part method where you have the ethos part, logo, uh, the, the ethos, pathos, and logos. So our why has to do with the ethos part. Who am I? What are my core values? What do I want? And does this, uh, this item fit into my life? Is there a reason why I should hold on to it? Right. And then we look at the pathos element, which, which has to do with our emotional connection with this object and you know, what we actually feel concerning that. And then, of course, there's the logos part where we're the factual reality concerning this object. Like, for example, it could, you can get a lot of money for this object. Sure. And perhaps that might play a very important role. Or um, so, you know, the factual realities around that object, for example, that it could be very useful and meaningful to, to give it to a museum rather than keep it in one did, home. Did you say, did you say, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you said logos? Logos, yes. Logos. The, this, is, this is not a word that most Americans are going to be familiar with. What, what is the logos? Mean? Well, ethos, you know, ethos has to do with our um let's just say our values, who we are. Okay. Pathos has to do with passion, our emotional connection with things, let's say. And logos is the logic, the logical aspect, the, that, that which is the formative aspect of things around us, a factual, a factual reality concerning. And the, the, this uh, method, uh, of course, was inspired by Aristotle, who used ethos pathos and logos for his red right right I, you know it's all sounded familiar and i just it's been so long yes. since i've heard that but and uh, i i i you need a pen Aaron? no i was just wondering if we can write that down oh i, I will wondering. i will oh, but um it's also recorded on the show so you could actually listen to the podcast and then you'd have it that way so we can <laughs> so we can so. so what we've done is i have been inspired by his method and i've applied it uh to uh sorting out one's inheritance because in actual fact you you can apply this to anything um and well yeah you're you. right you're right because where i originally now that i think about it we studied this in acting classes about 30 years ago <laughs> so so uh, it's interesting that uh, that you you reminded me of something i haven't thought about in a long time that's a very that's a very creative process um i i actually have worked with hoarders to help mm -hmm. clean out their homes and it's you know 
it people don't realize it is especially the world we live in is we're such a, a world of um the concept of we are what we have or what we do you know instead of um we are not what we do and we are not what we have and so everybody lives with all this stuff and so it's it's it seems that people have kind of lost the concept of their king you know society's lost its king we we don't know what's what and so someone like you helps to redefine that well actually redefining things is uh, is really part of the work um because when when we want to approach something we i tend not to uh, approach it on the level that it is i try to go a level higher and understand what's really going on oh, because good. in yeah. inheritance usually when we think of inheritance we think of lawyers and taxes and you know we 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 tend to think inheritance in the financial and legal you know hemisphere but yeah. actually Uh, the work, the work of the inheritance muse is to go deeper and to find the lot to grasp the larger and wider scope of what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to ask a question to Aaron. How did she finally make her decisions? Did you did you make any decisions about your things in the end? I also have my I I also have my my mother's stuff that I'm uh working with her to help her. Yeah, and I heard she recently moved also. Yeah, she did. And Aaron I'm, I'm actually moving her right now and so I'm yeah. um I'm moving her to a place that's going to be for her at you know just just in a different space and so we're keeping we're we're letting go of some things that she can let go of and keeping some stuff. So, but well, it's, it's like it's some it's of it is beautiful process. paintings and some of it yeah. Well, years ago, um Aaron and her mom, uh, one thing they inherited, her dad collected books and he collected books to the point where they had I believe 30,000 books. And so Aaron and her mother donated was it to UCLA some books to UCLA and then yeah. 10, and, I, and so, now I'm yeah but but Aaron doesn't Aaron no longer has those I mean she has a lot of them but or I'd say many books but over you know many of them. think of it this way if uh they're good insulation for the walls too oh there you go yeah <laughs> yeah well because a lot of them were sort of paperback books and and just interesting books about unusual subjects and I was looking through many of her books and it was pretty fascinating actually but um I wanted to ask you um uh how do inherited assets vary from country to country so in other words if you're helping somebody in Greece for example versus helping someone in let's say Los Angeles do you notice a, a big difference in the assets that you're working with um I think that everyone has a little bit of everything in their home it always depends on the situation i i happen to work with uh, i have different types of clients many of them are affluent uh they have very important pieces of art and estates and that kind uh on the other hand um i also work with you know all types of people and usually everyone has more or less the same thing in different quantity and in different value hmm. you know but everyone has art um you know people usually collect clutter when i meet them they're in the process of either inheriting which means that they need to clear out their own stuff in order to make room for the new sure. uh, they need to make decisions about things with their siblings and you know other aspects preserve things and so on so they're in a transition when they usually you know invite me to come Right. Um so I would say it's it's more or less the same in 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 more most countries that I work with. 
Hmm, interesting. Yeah, this yeah. entire this entire subject is fascinating to me. The 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 very minute that I started reading your content, I thought this is fascinating. You know, this is uh, why is why have I not seen this before? You know, uh, I mean, I know that. See, here's here's what I've been accustomed to. So as a as a uh, uh, art consultant, and I mentioned this on a previous podcast, it used to be that I when I was much more active, I would get these calls or emails or whatever, and someone would say, "Hey, there's an estate sale." we're at a state sale company. And we were wondering if you could come over here and take a look at a few items. And what they wanted me to do, they would separate what they thought was all the best items because the family was of the, of the opinion, Hey, we, we didn't buy all of this. Our parents did. We just want to get rid of it. We're, we're sick of looking at it. They, some of them even had that kind of an attitude. And so these, these estate sale people would take all the best items, put them together all the worst items and move those over and people would be milling around buying things for literally a couple of dollars, you know, like a yard sale mentality. And so I walk in and I, I'd look at the, the, the items that they set aside for me to look at. And I soon realized I needed to ask them, uh, are you hiring me? Because if I tell you that, for example, that Salvador Dali right there is worth $12,500, you know, I'm putting my reputation on the line and saying this is authentic and here's how much it's worth. So I don't do that for free. But the the mentality of these estate sale people was they just wanted to use me to to help them. And then they would say, hey, any of this stuff over here, just take something, you know, or, or it, and it just felt very uh, sort of low end or, or kind of, uh, it wasn't a good experience. And I, I felt bad for the people who were being taken advantage of because they weren't telling the uh, owners of this, of these items, what the actual value was or. I understand. You know I what understand. I mean? Yeah. So well, does, I think this work has to be done before. In my work, I also meet some very, very interesting people who actually, what I call, do a, a, a sort of a closure on their life in the sense that they want things to be understood, the things that they're hand giving their children, they want to give them uh, in a way where there is knowledge and experience behind them. Because when mostly when, when children, and we talk about children, we're talking about more or less our age. Uh, when yeah. children receive something, uh, they don't always know about it. And because the parents didn't take the time to express their feelings about something, the value of it. So they're left with things. They're not left with experiences. And usually it's very unlikely that a child is going to sell something off when they know the story behind an object mm. uh, or the value. And this should be done before a parent's death. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. It's all, it's all very Succession and um, let's just say that the transitioning into the, let's say the, the last phase of our life is an art. And I'm really a, an avid propagate of people um, creating closure, conscious closure in their life. And this uh, frees them. It, it frees them. It gives them a sense of freedom so that they can live the rest of their life in a more knowing what's going to happen and just enjoying their life without worrying what's going to happen. It sounds very freeing, Martina. It sounds very yes. freeing. Yes. Yeah, it's all Actually, the, the other thing, I, the thing is that many people come to me in midlife because midlife is a time when we're actually starting to inherit. And um, or because, you know, inheritance doesn't always come at once. We are inheriting things from our parents, from our relatives, sort of it's an ongoing inheriting. It's not just always all at once. You know, maybe the large things happen, you know, all at once, but the smaller things sort of like parents ask their, their, you know, their children, do you want this art piece? Would you like to have it? You know, there's things moving around. Exactly. Uh, you know. <laughs> 
So there is time to foresee things and try to time to understand things. And we also, as children, should also ask. Can I ask you so, this? Uh, this might be an unusual question, but did you ever study your uh, family's history? And if you did, uh, like in our case, my sister did a family tree going way, way back many generations. And, and again, might sound odd, but did you have royalty in your family in, in your history? Um, I, we did not have any royalty. And actually, I think we're limited in royalties in Greece. I mean, we do have uh, royalty, but um, what I have is I have heroes in my family. Hmm. And that for me is, is very royal. Yes, uh, of course. Because, and I'll, I'll share you why I, I find this interesting, because my parents were able to communicate that to me. And actually the, the heroic idol was always, you know, something that I grew up with. My father himself was a hero in that he fought in the Greek resistance. He served jail due to his, you know, his, his, his political uh, aspirations. Um, he was exiled and had to start over again. So there's heroic aspects there. Oh. Um, he built well, up I, a bank. I mean, he, he, he you know, it, it's, he, he in himself uh, was a man who moved forward in his life. And he always, because being a Stoic, he always said to me, it's not what happens to you, it's but what, what you do with what happens to yeah. you. Right. right. So, um, so I'm saying, and then uh, and on my mother's side, um, the people were more, uh, let's just say, the bourgeois. So um, wasn't exactly heroic, but they were people who were who created their future um, in a family where there were seven daughters. They managed to send all of them to university. In those days, it wasn't an easy thing. Um, so they worked together. The togetherness of her family made them move forward. So these were values which were being transmitted to me. So I would say no royalty, but a lot of very, very. Um, well, here, here, here's why I asked you, because uh, I've said this before, but all of us artists, you know, we're we're an odd bunch and we think of things in a different way than no. others. Others might. <laughs> You're not. Odd so at all. so <laughs> when I when I look at people and this is just me and a few people out there are going to identify with this. But I, I you know, I, I did a lot of theater and of course I've been drawing and painting and doing all these things all my life. And so when I look at people, I cast them in something like a role. I see them like they remind me of a role of a, a character. And when I looked at your picture, I immediately put you on a throne wearing a queen's gown and a crown. <laughs> and you looked like royalty to me. That's just the way my brain works. So that's why I asked you if you had royalty in your history. I love, I thank you. Thank you. I'll take that as a very nice compliment. <laughs> um, um, I think my opinion is that when one taps into the root of who they are, then, and I'm saying this as a general, and that is the goal, actually, then we shine out. And I think what we like about the kingliness or the, you know, the royalness of, of what we call the archetype is actually uh, the best that we are that shines outwards, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so it's an inner state. I would say that it's a, it's a beautiful inner state that we can all reach once we reach and tap into authentic, authentic self. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, a friend of mine once said to me, if you know who you are inside, you could put your business in the middle of the forest and people would be the path to find you. That's right. That's mm. right. It's a, yes, 
because no. you are you radiate outwards and then you attract inwards yeah Ooh, fascinating that's beautiful no wonder they call you a muse you're, <laughs> you're beautiful <laughs> we're kind of running out of time Aaron. but uh everyone in the in the past year obviously has been impacted by the coronavirus and all that kind of thing so where you are and and in your specific type of business how has it impacted you and and what do you see happening in the next let's say near future the next number of months well, it, it's an interesting uh, situation with inheritance because uh, due to this, I think the corona has brought us to ask larger questions. Yes. And larger questions are the substance of my work because mm. I, I mean, I work with all sorts of experts, appraisers, lawyers, and so on. I am the, the glue in between that comes and, and, and goes deeper into the, the, the situations. And what I find is that people are asking deeper questions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also worth sort of, a, it's an existential thing too. Because as we get older, we, we should ask deeper questions. And I think the corona has quickened that in mm. our lives when we see people that we love passing away or we see the eph- ephemeralness of life and how easily it can be disturbed or destroyed. Right. Uh, that we start coming back to the essential questions. And if, if anything, if I can achieve anything with my clients to get to that essential point, because from that point, that's when real creativity starts. Well, it occurred to me also that um, I spent so many years, uh, you know, I've sold everything from uh, Salvador Dali to Renoir works, you know, hand sign, that type of thing. So um, mm-hmm. it occurs to me that if, and I've, I've put this offer out there and a few people have taken me up on it. If you have a hand signed work by Salvador Dali, by Picasso, Chagall, Miro, Warhol, uh, possibly Renoir, I've even helped people with Remington and then a lot of living artists, but mostly the 20th, uh, uh, 20th century masters and a few 19th century masters. So if anybody has that type of art and you're not sure about its authenticity or its value, you can contact me through artworkpodcast.com. Uh, you can also contact me through this uh, specific show just on the uh, site. There's a, there's a message uh, system there. So you can send me a message that way. And if, if we determine that you do have uh, authentic works or it looks like you have authentic works and you need to take it to the next step, I could then refer you to Matina and Matina could then work with you at her level. And, you know, the interesting thing about listening to you talk, uh, Matina, is is that the great thing about doing these shows is discovering things. You discover all kinds of things you would have not ever have thought about. And uh, listening to your perspective about this entire subject is, it's all been discovery, the entire discussion. So I really appreciate your uh, being here. And also, I think myself and other people now have a different view of, oh, I have a different way to look at this, you know, that I hadn't looked at this before. So, um, so I, yeah. yeah, I encourage people to message you uh, through your site or whatever. Erin, do you have any more questions for Matina before we wrap it up? Um, I, I just want to say it's been wonderful meeting you, uh, how wonderful it is to know that there is a person like you out in the world who holds things sacred. Hmm. Thank nice. you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to your show. And for your listeners, I, I, I'm mostly Zoom with my clients. So okay. I'm available and I speak four languages. That's oh, helpful. Wow. Too. <laughs> and I really enjoyed speaking to you. I think we just began the conversation and I'm sure we'll have many more. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. We like the idea of revisiting uh, guests in the future and seeing, see how they're doing and that kind of thing. So um, bring you back on the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a problem at all. Um, but again, I might be talking to you in the near future. If anyone reaches out to me, um, I might be sending you some referrals, you know, so um, um, because, again, I, I do occasionally get people I have contacts in Los Angeles that can look at Picasso. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but it's not like there's a, a, a single agency that you can take your Picasso to and they're going to just authenticate it for you if you're in the United States. You might need to ship it off to Spain or you know, it's not like there's authenticators and appraisers on every corner. They're actually very, very rare. And the people that claim that they're going to help you, you have to be very careful because one, and, I, and I'm going to give this last little bit and then wrap this up, but one um, in the past collector contacted me and they said, hey, I have a question for you. I called this appraiser and he's certified by the, uh, you know, the AAA certified and they gave me all of these credentials. And, and, um, and I told him I had a hand-signed Picasso from 1947 and I wanted to get it authenticated and appraised and he and the and the, and the response he got back was is it authentic and the, and the customer said well I believe it is and he went okay and they created a certificate of authenticity based on a conversation over the phone hmm. and he's telling me this and I couldn't believe what I was hearing and so after that I told everybody you know the authenticator or the appraiser needs to show you some form of uh, history. They need to show you that they've done this work before. They That's need to correct. give yeah. examples. They also, need, they also need to give you some sort of a, a, a method, you know? So if you own a Picasso hand sign limited edition print, for example, which is what we were talking about on this one phone call in the past, um, there's a, a series of books and these books uh, were created many, many years ago. I, I forget how many books they are, but let's say 15 years ago, I wanted to purchase this collection of books that are used to authenticate Picasso. And at that time, I believe they were 30,000 or $40,000 for the set, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know what they are now. In the case of Salvador Dali, all the material from the archives for his limited edition work is, it was all in one place. I have all that information. In the case of Warhol, there was a committee uh, that authenticated Warhol's works that committee disbanded. So the, the people were literally saying, I don't know where to go to get my Warhol authenticated. So they were taking them to art galleries. And I told people an art gallery is not necessarily the right place to get your art authenticated, That's right. especially if you're buying it from the art gallery and the art gallery provides the certificate and no one else has viewed the work. I said, you don't want to purchase art that way. So so I think it's very important that people talk to someone like myself and someone like yourself and get a lot of information first before they make a decision, you know? So, um, by the way, I wanted to say that, uh, that picture of you between the, uh, I think it's the haute reliefs, the, uh, you're, you're, you're sitting. I'm sitting between two tombs. Oh, wow. That's the, really? ima that's the image where I looked at. That's and I my thought... ideal, my ideal place to be because, um, uh, Kazanzakis, who was a, a writer, he also wrote Zorba the Greek. Oh, wow. wow. He said, our life is, we come from the abyss and we go into the abyss oh. and the light in between is life or something oh. like that. So oh, I love it. I felt that that picture represents my philosophy of life too. <laughs> it's fascinating that you say that because something that influenced my life was when I was young, I, I was born in, in the late fifties. My parents took me to the drive-in theater to see Anthony Quinn and Zorba the Greek. <laughs> and oh. 
And I, it, it had such an impact on me that I never forgot that film. And I actually would recommend it to people later in life. I would say, have you ever seen Zorba the Greek? You need to watch it, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so that's fascinating. Well, yeah, we do, anyway, uh, we need to wrap it up Aaron. So I know I just wanted to, say, I wanted to finish her, her, what I was saying. Um, you look in that picture, uh, you look so much at peace. You look like you're, you fit your skin. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. So, Matina, do you have any final words for our listeners before we wrap it up? Um, well, uh, I just would like to say that with, with anything that we own, um, there's a relationship. And when we start discovering that relationship uh, and we go beyond the tangible, we then start to really discover our true wealth. Mm. And that, you know, that's my experience until now. Look behind what you see and find what is there and it's been waiting for you to find to be discovered hmm. it's a map to the soul <laughs> yeah interesting. yeah interesting you know that what if if i just may add you know some of us inherit a lot and others re inherit very little it's never a tangible thing there hmm. are people that have inherited a lot of th things and they're actually quite poor and mm. I've seen people who've inherited almost nothing and sometimes even pain. And they've transformed their pain into creativity and, you know, improving the world. I mean, look at Viktor Frankl. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, we inherit all sorts of things and things, you know, and experiences. What we will do with these is what is, represents our true wealth and our quality of life. Very well said. How wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I very much enjoyed this and um, we're going to wrap it up now. So again, anyone who's listening, Matina Agio uh, is our guest and you can easily find her online. I'm going to, I'm going to put her content on our website, artworkpodcast.com. And it's also going to be on the uh, description part of our um, podcast here. Say bye, Erin. Bye, Erin. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's the got to keep the humor. You there know, you the go. humor is the lubricant for the human condition. There you go. Okay, well, that's Aaron's goodbye for today. <laughs> to the to thine <laughs> so, own self be true. All right. Well, okay, Ma thank you, Matina, so much. And uh, until next time, everybody, that is it for us. So we are out, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.